Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 3. If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 3, and I'm going to kind of paint a picture for you before you get there, because really the title of this psalm, it says it's a psalm of David when David fled from Absalom, his son. And the title gives us the context. And so if you dig deep into your word, you can read this in 2 Samuel, like from chapter 12 through chapter 18. Write that down. You can read that later, but let me give you a flyover so that you understand the context and why David is crying out to the Lord for deliverance in the way he's crying out for the Lord for deliverance in Psalm chapter 3. The story kind of begins in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan musters up whatever courage he has and he makes his way into the presence of King David. And he brings before King David a hard and a harsh word, but a necessary word. And so Nathan tells this story to David, and he says, there were two men. One man was a rich man, and he had very much wealth. He had very many, he had a huge flock, very many sheep within his flock. And then there was a poor man. And this poor man saved up what money he had so that he could buy just one little ewe lamb, one little baby lamb. And he raised that lamb like it was one of his own children. That lamb sat in his lap. He ate from his table. That was like a daughter to this poor man. And through the course of time, the rich man had a visitor come, and he was so greedy and so wealthy, he thought, you know what, I don't want to take one of my own lambs to prepare for my guests. So he went and he took that poor man's lamb, and he slaughtered that poor man's lamb, and he fed that lamb to his visitors. And David is enraged. He's incensed. His face turns red. He's so angry, and he says, who is this man? Bring him to me. He will repay fourfold what he's taken. How dare this man take the one little lamb from this man, this poor man who loved this lamb with all that he had, who raised this lamb as one of his own children. How dare he? And the prophet Nathan looks David into the eye and he says to him, you realize that this story is your story because you are that man. The Lord says to you today, David, what more could I have given you? I've given you wealth. I've given you the kingdom. I've given you wives and concubines. And yet there was one woman who caught your eye that was not your own, belonged to another man, was another man's wife, and you took her as your own. And to cover your tracks, you slayed that man. You killed Uriah. And now the Lord says this to you. Your life will be spared, but the sword will never depart from your home. God is going to raise up from within your home someone who will attack you. There will be division within your home, and the sword will never depart from your home again. Fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Samuel has two sons. One's name is Amnon. The other's name is Absalom. Boy, is more than that, but this story concerns these two these two sons. And they, Absalom has a sister by the name of Tamar. And she's a beautiful woman. And Amnon, who's just the half-brother of Tamar, is in love with her. 
And his desire is for her. And the scripture says that he desires her so much that he actually makes himself sick with lust and with love over this Tamar. And so Amnon has a cousin who says to, to Amnon, why don't you do this? Why don't you say that you're sick? And when your father comes to check on you, say that, that, why don't you send to me my sister Tamar to care for me and to bake for me some cakes and to nurse me back to health. And so David comes through and he meets with Amnon and he checks on his son who's faking as though he's sick. And he says, this is what I desire. Would you send to me my sister Tamar so that she can come and nurse me back to health and prepare the cakes for me? And so Tamar comes. When she arrives, Amnon sends everyone else out. She kneads the dough. She bakes the cakes. She brings the cakes to feed Amnon while he's in bed and while she's there to feed. And after everyone else has been driven out, he rapes her. And scripture says after he's raped her, that his heart, which was so in love with this woman, begins to despise her. And he kicks her out of the home and he locks the door behind her and she goes and she tears her clothing and she pours dust and ash upon her head and her brother, her full brother, Absalom, comes and says, what did your brother do to you? And Tamar explains what has happened and so Absalom brings Tamar into his home and he waits for David to act. See, this son Absalom, he says in his heart of hearts, this is wrong, certainly my father, the king, will take action and justice will visit the house of Tamar, but it doesn't happen. He waits two full years. And understand this, won't, don't you understand this, that it's difficult to remove the speck from your brother's eye when you have a log in your own eye? And so because of the sin that David has allowed into his own home, into his own house... He's light on sin. He doesn't come down upon the sin the way that he should. And what happens in the heart and in the eyes of Absalom is David, is, he's losing respect day after day after day that justice doesn't visit the house of Tamar. Two years go by. Finally, Absalom has had enough and he exacts revenge and he slays his brother Amnon. He cuts him down just fulfilling exactly the scripture, the prophetic word that Nathan had delivered to David, that the sword will not depart from your house. Amnon is killed, and David hears of this. And so Absalom has to flee. He goes to a foreign land for three years. And after three years, finally, David is no longer angry, and his heart yearns for his son Absalom. And so Joab, David's commander, his right-hand man, his general of all of the armed forces, he sends for Absalom and brings Absalom back to Jerusalem. Two more years go by without David seeing his son Absalom. And finally, Absalom goes to Joab and says, it would have been better for me to stay in the foreign land than to be here and for my father to refuse to see me. Just let me go into his presence. And if he slays me, he slays me. How many years have passed by now? Two years, another three years, another two years. Seven years have passed. And all the while, Absalom is losing respect for the king, his father, David, until it gets to the point in 2 Samuel chapter 15, even after what would seem like a reconciliation between Absalom and David, the scripture says that Absalom steals the hearts of the people. He waited by the gate, and when the people came with some sort of grievance or some sort of issue, something that needed to be dealt with, they needed a judge, he would sit there and he would say, who's the judge appointed in your area? 
well, we have no judge. We've come to the king for justice. And he says, if only I could be judge in your area. And the scripture says of this young man, Absalom, that he was a handsome man, handsome than anyone else in all of the region, that he had hair that he'd have to cut every year because it would become so heavy that he'd have to cut his hair. I wish I had that problem, right? From the sole of his feet to the tip of his head, it says this man had no blemish. And so he's a handsome, strong, looking, good-looking young man, and he's captured the hearts of the people of Israel because David was lazy and because David did not bring justice. The people desired justice. And so he captures their hearts, and word gets back to David that Absalom has raised up an army, and he's coming for your kingdom. And so David flees Jerusalem that day, and it is in the midst of that story that we have what is being written here by David in Psalm chapter 3. Are you with me? Let's read the psalm in its entirety, and then we'll come back and we'll look at this. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. Understand that in the midst of this story that I'm sharing you from 2 Samuel, this is the night before the battle when he's going to face Absalom upon the field of battle. When the two armies will collide over who will maintain control over all of Israel. God has raised up Absalom from his own home to bring to pass the word that he'd spoken through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And now this is coming to head. The consequences of David's sin, the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba, of slaying Uriah, of not being firm with sin, not being just in the way he judged. All of this is coming to head in this moment and the night before this battle. David goes before the Lord and he cries out for deliverance. Where do you go when you are in need of rescue? Where do you go when you are in need of help? Because my fear is this. My fear is that so many of you spend so much of your time in your own thoughts, thinking and wondering and imagining hypothetical situations that will absolutely never take place, and you, all of your emotional and spiritual energy is invested in that, that even physically you're feeling ill, you're feeling weak because you're so invested in these thoughts and these what-ifs that will never come to pass, and you're trying to do things on your own. You see, my children today, when they have a skin knee or when they bump their head, they rarely come to me for help. Why? Because they can handle it on their own as well it should be. But spiritually speaking, the moment when we begin to think that we can handle all of the issues that we struggle with from a day-to-day -day basis on our own is the day we've walked away from our God, our Father. Do you understand this? And many of you this morning are trapped by your own thoughts, by your own imagination, by those hypothetical situations. And instead of running into the presence of the Lord with your burden and with your shame and with your guilt and with your fears and with your doubt and with your need, you're trying to solve it on your own. 
And imagine how much better your situation would be if you took all of that emotional and spiritual and physical energy and instead of putting it in those hypothetical imaginations, you took that same energy and you brought it before the Lord. And you cried out to God for deliverance. When David needed God the most, David found himself in the presence of the Lord. When you are in need of a touch the most, where do you run? To whom do you cling? Let's look at this psalm now. Look at verse 1. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are my foes. And the foes are from my own household. Absalom, my own son. If you read the story later in its completion, you'll see Ahithophel, his right-hand man, his counselor, his confidant, the person that he went to when he needed advice, even Ahithophel was caught up in this rebellion, in this coup, and he followed after Absalom. The people who were closest with David had turned their backs on David, and David was left alone. He felt as though he was alone. Do you ever, have you ever felt that way, that the people whom you love the most are the people who harm you the most? and your heart is just heavy, understand that the gospel has a way of doing this even in our lives. Before, before we're in Christ, right, maybe we're involved in the things of the world, but the moment you try to come out of the world, there's a division that happens. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 10. He says, when that day comes, that a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He'll set father against son and mother against daughter, and in the household there'll be division. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword, not peace, the truth, the gospel will divide. And sometimes when that truth is spoken, it causes that division. And David just says, man, it seems like I have so many enemies. Even the people that I love, the people that I should be able to trust, they are even my enemies today. Look at that. He says, many are my foes. He says, many are rising against me. In your life this morning, maybe you feel like there's a lot of conflict. Maybe you feel like you have many enemies. Maybe you feel hopeless and alone because you just feel like there's no one to hear your side or to hear your case or there's no one who identifies or understands what you're feeling. I want you to understand this this morning. God tells us through his word the source of all of that conflict. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in, of evil in heavenly places. That conflict that you're experiencing, that crisis that you are experiencing, and if you're taking notes, that's your first point. David's crisis, and we see where he runs in the midst of his crisis. David's crisis, in the midst of your crisis, understand that the roots of that crisis, the roots of that conflict, is not in the fleshly realm, it's in the spiritual realm. What does this mean? It means, you know what? Your spouse is not your enemy, Satan is your enemy. It means your child is not your enemy, Satan is your enemy. It means your boss or your coworker is not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. These are spiritual forces at work to distract you, to choke you out, to strangle out your faith, to take your eyes off of God and to put your eyes on the world. And many of you have taken the bait this morning because your foes are rising against you. You say, what is happening here? And you're so consumed and so distracted by the conflict that you've taken your eyes off of the throne and the one who can really help. We need to get our eyes back on Jesus. This is not true. 
Why does the enemy, why does Satan put so much effort and energy into distracting you and pulling you away from God? It's because you have great worth. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul wrote this to the Romans. He says, he says, God demonstrated or proved his love for you that while you were still caught up in your sin, Christ loved you and died for you. That's how much worth you have. Every time Satan looks at you, he looks at you and he sees the image that you were created in, that you were created in the image of God and that you were valuable enough to God that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in your place. This is why you're under attack. This is why many are the foes that are surrounding you because he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it doesn't matter how he accomplishes that, as long as he can get your eyes off of Jesus, he's won. Many are my foes. Look at what he says next. David says this, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. There is no salvation. The root for that word salvation is Yeshua, which is the name of Jesus in Hebrew, or Joshua's name in in Hebrew. It means God saves. What the enemies were saying in these moments is there is no salvation for him from God. Even God can't save David at this point. That's what rumor was going, circulating around his kingdom. Look at how many people have risen against him. Finally, justice is coming to the home of David. Finally, he's going to pay for his sins. There's no one who can help him at this point. If you guys have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel chapter 16. And in the midst of this, while he's fleeing from Jerusalem, while he's escaping his son Absalom, there's a man by the name of Shammai who comes and he actually accuses David. Listen to what happens here. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera. And he came, he cursed him continually. And he threw stones at David. And all of the servants of King David and all of the people and all of the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shemai said as he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. You, the Lord has avenged on you the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you've reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, uh, your evil is now on you for you are a man of blood. Skip down and look at this. Verse 9, then uh, Abisha, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse the Lord my king? Let me go over and take off his head. The king said to him, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abisha and to all of his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more should this Benjamite leave him alone? Let him curse, for the Lord has told him, It may be the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and the Lord will repay me good for his cursing. So David and his men went on the road, and when Shammai went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones on him and flung dust, And David and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. So let me explain to you what's going on. This guy is Shammai. He meets David, and he's from the house of Benjamin. He's a family member of Saul. Remember, David took Saul's kingdom, took Saul's throne. And now he comes out, and he says, finally, justice. Finally, my family, Saul, is going to be avenged. And so he's throwing rocks at David, and he's cursing David, right, throwing rocks. I don't know. If you feel like this this morning, do you feel like there are people surrounding you who are constantly throwing rocks your way? 
How is it that when you're at your lowest point, these people seem to be able to find you and surround you and to throw accusations and to throw rocks and to throw cursings and to throw insults? Understand that this has happened from the beginning of time. Remember the story of Job. And the people that you should trust the most to encourage you in a moment of need are the people whose words wound the deepest. And Job, there he suffered. His, he's just lost all of his livestock. He's just lost his home. He's just lost his ten children in an incredible storm. He's lost everything. And even his physical, his physical appearance has been stricken. He's sick. He has sores from the top of his head from the, to the sole of his feet. And he's sitting in dust. And he has a piece of glass. And he's scraping his wounds trying to pop the blisters. And his wife comes to him and says, just curse God and die. Why are you still holding on to your integrity? Just give up already. And it's at that point that Job says, shall we receive good and not evil from the Lord? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even his own friends, if you read the book of Job, most of the book of Job is a story of Job's friends trying to tell Job, look, you have sin in your life. You need to repent. You need to confess. There's something wrong because God would not be allowing you to suffer unless you had something wicked in your life. These people coming around throwing stones. This guy Shammai followed them through the valley on the hilltops, walking along, throwing and hurling insults and stones as David went. Just salt on the wound. Think about David when he was called by the Lord to deliver the, the children of Israel from the Philistines. He goes and the, the people that he should trust the most, right, they put him down. His, his own brother Eliab says, where, where did you leave the few sheep that you're supposed to be watching? You just came to watch a little bit of the battle. Get back to tend those sheep. He goes to Saul, and Saul says, you're just a little boy. There's no way you can go against Goliath. This man has been a, a warrior from his youth, and you're just but a youth. These people who should be encouraging David are just putting him down, throwing insults. How about Jesus himself? He goes into Nazareth, and he begins to preach in the synagogue, and he preaches a powerful message. And it says the people are amazed at the message that Jesus spoke, but they despised him in their hearts. And they said, who is this guy? Who does he think he is preaching so powerfully like this? this is, he's just the son of a carpenter. We know his mother Mary, and we know his brothers and his sisters. Who does this guy think he is? And Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except within his own country. How about the story of the cross? Jesus goes, he's taken and he's blindfolded and they're spitting upon his face and they're slapping him across the face and they're mocking him saying ha 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 yeah who who smacked you prophesy tell us who was the one who smacked you they take him and they they put a crown of thorns upon his head mocking him they put a robe upon him mocking him bowing down all hail the king of the jews and they beat him along the way spitting in his face some more they take him and they hang him upon a Roman cross. And all of the onlookers go walking by, wagging their heads, shaking their heads, saying, this guy who said he could tear down the temple and raise it in three days, look at you now. This guy who says he's the son of God or claims to be the son of God, if you're the son of God, why don't you have God pull you down off that cross? Maybe then we'll believe you. Mockery after mockery after mockery. You know how these insults often come our direction in life today? is reminding you of your past. And there'll be people whom you love, whom you respect, that will rise up around you and say, you're not fit for that ministry, or you're not fit to do this or to do that. Don't you remember who you are? Don't you remember the kind of person you are? Don't you remember what you used to do? This is the way Paul put it 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. You used to be that person, but you're not that person anymore, Paul says. And it doesn't matter if those darts are coming your way, if people are hurling insults and rocks. You need to remember who you are, and you are in Christ, someone completely new. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.